On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Emma Freevogel, the co-founder of Radical Recruit, the only not-for-profit recruitment consultancy in the UK that exists to excite, agitate and shake things up in the recruitment industry. Radical Recruit represents the UK's most diverse hidden talent. They help employers do recruitment better and create real and lasting social change. Emma, I'm delighted to have you on the Purpose Led Leadership podcast. For those that are listening, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about what Radical Recruit is and does? I'd be delighted and so good to see you. So um, my name's Emma. I'm the founder or co-founder rather of Radical Recruit. We're the UK's only not-for-profit recruitment consultancy. Mm -hmm. And we work with people who are underrepresented in the labour market. So initially, we my, I sort of set up this... this um, not-for-profit to, to help three really distinct constituencies that tend to be the same people at different points in their life journey. So ex-offenders, care leavers and homeless folk. But we're sort of two and a bit years down the line now mm-hmm. and we work with anyone with a protected characteristic, so all the people you think about when you talk about diversity, mm-hmm. and then people have had sort of challenging life experiences that have either made it really hard to get a job in the first instance, like... Um, sort of coming up through care, for example, or um, experiences that make it challenging to re-enter the labour market, like domestic violence or homelessness, Mm -hmm. these types of things. That's an amazingly different and diverse and unique business, and to do that within a recruitment sphere as well. What spawned that idea? Because I've looked at your background, you've got like degrees in disability and science, disability science, all that kind of stuff. And you've, you've done this for quite a number of years, haven't you? Well, I don't, I don't actually have a degree in anything. So I oh. started, I've done about four years worth of full-time education um, at, at university level. And I've got about two years <clears> left and I'd have three degrees. Um, I was very lucky. I had the, was born with the gift of the gab. So, <laughs> um, and, and actually care runs in our family. So I, I sort of followed in my mum's footsteps. She okay. started off in the disability sector after she birthed us, and which I'll never live down, um, and um, sort of started my career in, in disability support. And then from there moved into leadership roles. But yeah, I've been working with humans forever mm. um, because the underdog is something that I'm passionate about. And I'm incredibly privileged to be able to do this sort of work. Yeah. So um, no degree, sadly. 17 years working with humans who mm. sit on the fringes of our society and who aren't enabled to participate in in lots of different ways, um, yeah. particularly within the labour market. I think it's amazing. I mean, I, I always talk a lot about purpose. And um, I think without purpose, you're never really going to be fulfilled and happy. I mean, from what you've said and what you do, you must get an enormous amount of of um, fulfilment and um, joy out of what you do, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't do it for the money. You don't work in the third sector because it's an easy, easy um, place to work. I mean, I've always um, enjoyed working with people and I've been since I was very little aware in some way, shape or form of my privilege, mm. what I was born into really. Mm. And all of the... I guess the opportunities and luxuries that I've enjoyed as a result of that. Yeah. And um, without realising for a long period of time and now more consciously, I choose to use that privilege for good and the outcome is that people are advantaged, Mm -hmm. people we support, but also on the flip side is 
I get to do really meaningful work that yeah. changes lives. So, yes, it does bring me lots and lots of joy when I'm not, like, thinking, what the hell have <laughs> I started? Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, Because it's a tough gig. Startups are, are tough and the third sector is tough. Yeah, I mean, being an entrepreneur, starting a recruitment business is tough, but to combine that with, I guess, the, 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 the challenges that you have to help people face as well, I mean... I want to talk about that, but also the not-for-profit element. So when you get the money for whatever that is that you do, well, how does it? How does that work? Good question. So, I mean, because we sort of champion the rights of people who are not, not valued by society, broadly speaking, mm-hmm. um, and who are not enabled to participate often, um, it's really important that we are able to be their mouthpiece, but also really agile and responsive to their needs. And their needs are changing constantly due to lots of different variables. Mm. Um, the political and economic climate in particular is, is a big consideration. Yeah. So initially um, I started Radical with the help of the most amazing um, corporate foundation, Reward Gateway. And they gave me a grant worth 40,000 pounds about a week before um, Plague 1.0 kicked in. So mm-hmm. the, lock, the lockdown sure. kicked in. Yeah, yeah. And what that enabled me to do was, was sort of start shop. Um, and I worked by myself with the help of hundreds of beautiful humans who I found on LinkedIn yeah. um, for the first year. So that's what kept us going the first year. Yeah. Um, we do have some local government money to mm-hmm. run specific projects mm-hmm. with very specific groups of people who tend to be furthest away from the labour market. But ultimately, the aim is to remain as independent from both of those types of funders as possible. Yeah. Because um, we have to be bold in our approach. And when you're bold... Mm. Um, you make people uncomfortable. Yes. And um, when you make people uncomfortable, you sort of risk biting the hand that feeds you. Mm. So our model has evolved. Yeah. We've got a little bit of the grant funding. We've got a little bit of local government funding. Yeah. But ultimately, our value proposition within the business community is um, what I know what it is now. Okay. It's greater now than it ever has been. Yeah. And around the recruitment piece, we also offer a whole range of other CSR DNI, mm. ESG, recruitment, wow. whatever term you want to use, solutions mm. that are incredibly valuable to the the, the corporate world in particular. Um, so, do you charge a fee? And if you do, does that go back into various different charities and organisations that? Yeah. So, I mean, every any profit we earn gets reinvested back into mm-hmm. the business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're currently a community interest company. Uh, which is limited by guarantee, which is sort of in between a limited company and a charity. Right. So you've got all the obligations of a charity, but not the tax benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're in the process of um, getting our charity status um, approved by the Charity Commission, but there's this huge backlog um, and lots of organisations sort of applying. So we're on, on a list and, mm. and that will happen any minute now. But essentially what will happen is any services that we sell and, and, and it's currently happening. Any services that we sell um, and profits that we make are reinvested in, in, in yeah. back into the company so we can sort of expand our reach and continue running the ship. 
that's amazing. Yeah. I think I think general recruitment firms is it's it's difficult to identify and acquire good candidates, but also that coaching around kind of getting them fit for purpose for an interview and a job. But mm. when you're talking about ex offenders and homeless and other people, there must be an enormous amount of patience required and skills, you know, and, and emotional intelligence and kind of like empathy as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, our brand is is built on sort of like three pillars. You've got unconditional regard, congruence, mm. and empathy. They're right. they're really three three sort of values that are absolutely um, the foundations for everything we do. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the hard work isn't the work that we do with candidates. Mm. Um, the hard work is actually what we do with our partners to get them what we call radical ready. Um, and then support them to ensure that anyone they do recruit into their business is yeah. nourished, Absolutely. supported, um, and are able to sort of progress in their chosen mm. careers. So I guess, um, and we do that with empathy, unconditional regard, and congruence as well. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's Everyone needs the same thing with I love respect that. to that. You're right. It's not just delivering the candidate. You've got to kind of educate the client in terms of how to not treat the individual any differently or give them any you know everyone's the same right yeah well I mean not not everyone's the same I think the the challenge for corporates is they all talk about diversity it's all on top of everyone's agenda and that's wonderful Mm. Um, there's a lot of amazing rhetoric out there exactly but what's not happening is um, that rhetoric being translated into meaningful action Um, so you could be and what I mean by that is developing policy that's, that's yes. fit for purpose, yes. process that's fit for purpose, yes. capacity building those who are tasked with implementing the policy in the mm. process, and then and creating cultures where people feel like they belong yes. and they're included. It's quite multifaceted, isn't it? The policy is one thing written on a bit of paper and a bit or on the wall, but it's actually the the implementation of of I think the mindset in the first place of what actual what actual what actually is DNI and what does it mean? And, you know, and it's not a question of, oh, we might need some more women or we might need some more disadvantaged people and we'll, we'll try and find somebody. It's much wider than that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we look at diversity through a really radical lens. Mm. So everyone's diverse by nature of having a, a, their own personality that belongs to them that's different to everyone else's. Yeah. And if you look at personality, uh, personality, not personality, diversity, if you look at diversity, you've got sort of the middle uh, ring is your... your um, personality and then out on you've got another ring around that and that is what we call internal diversity so that's Mm. all the stuff that's protected by law Mm -hmm. right and then if you had another ring around that it's what we call it radical diversity but it's external diversity so that's all the stuff that's not protected by law Mm -hmm. but that actually brings diversity of thought and experience into this context the business and then you've got organizational diversity so if you look at organizational diversity we're talking about like union membership or seniority within a business Mm. the radical diversity is you know contact with the care system it could be um where you uh, what estate you were born on, it could be your proximity yeah. to yeah. a major city, these types of things. Yeah. And and that sort of internal diversity is stuff, some of the stuff that corporates are talking about, you know, the more black people, the more mm. women, the more gays or whatever, whatever you want to, yeah. yeah, yeah. So is there, a, is there a certain kind of strength of offender, may I say, because, the, you know, there's people that work with almost like... Um, I would say like murderers or, or paedophiles or is it just is there a, is there a kind of a, 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 an offender you wouldn't deal with 
No. Um, I find that working with some people with certain offences is incredibly challenging personally um, and anyone who works with people with convictions will have an appetite for the type of person or conviction um, that they will work with. The rates of recidivism, I always struggle with that <laughs> one, are actually lower um, right. amongst the population of people who have served longer custodial sentences as a result of more serious crimes. Mm. So if you were to employ someone into um, your business and you had the option of someone who's um, completed multiple petty thefts or a murderer, yeah. the murderer is the less risky hire. Explain that. Um, I, I couldn't, I, I just know it. Okay, <laughs> um, there's data, I can get you the, the facts yeah. later. Um, but I guess the, I think the, the, there's this churn in the prison system. You get 90,000 people in the prison system. And a good proportion of those people are, um, are suffering from the symptoms of poverty. Mm-hmm. And so they go in and out and in and out and in and out. And they, mm. they come from homelessness. They come from addiction. They come from, yeah. um, you know, mental ill health. They come from broken homes. They come mm. from generational joblessness, these types of things. And then they commit a crime and they get put through the prison system yeah. a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a year maybe or whatever. Yeah. And it's back out into the, exactly the same circumstances. Okay. Whereas if you've got someone who's on a life sentence mm-hmm. and doing 12 years, um, there's 12 years worth of rehabilitation sure. that, that person receives. Got you. That person on release is also given housing. Yeah. Um, is also given through the gate support. Yeah. Has probably had a huge amount of education, mm. a huge amount of clinical intervention. Yes. So I'm talking about therapy, these types of things. Yes. Um, that enable them to be released and into the community without... Um, without mm. risk, basically. So that's that's the thinking behind yeah. why the rates of if, free if, if anything, are... if they follow that process correctly, they could be more uh, suitable for life than, say, an average person who's not been in jail because they've had so much of that rehabilitation. Yeah, I mean, I think most people don't wake up and think, I'm... Um, no one's born evil or bad, mm-hmm. right? Blanket rule. I believe that. Okay. State that with steadfast conviction. Excuse the pun. <laughs> and then I don't. I don't believe that anyone wakes up and thinks I'm going to do something really dumb, mm. really, really hurtful, something that's going to harm either myself, result in me being jailed, yeah. or someone else, or you know. Sure. People don't wake up and think think that. Yeah, you know, I'm going to do this today. Yeah. So most people have sort of circumstances that lead them to crime. Mm-hmm. There's always a story behind the conviction. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think sort of some people have the opportunity to rehabilitate. I don't believe prisons are places for rehabilitation. They're full of people with disabilities, full of people who are in the throes of addiction, full of people yeah. who have serious mental health concerns. Yes. And there is no continuity of care. What's on that point? What's your view of the prison system itself? How could it be improved or changed? Do you think? I think l- most people in prison could be supported in the community, mm-hmm. uh, particularly women. Mm-hmm. And the problem, I mean, if you think about women, for example, most women in the prison system have um, experienced domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I think the significant majority, or at least it was five years ago, have children and are single parents. Yeah. 
So when you put a woman in prison, you separate her from her family mm-hmm. and her children go into care. Mm-hmm. And then, and Kelly was statistically more likely to either end up on the streets or in prison. So there's this big cycle of yeah. of prison or care, prison, homelessness in any way you yeah. want to order it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so particularly women and, 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 and people who are really suffering the symptoms of poverty, if you could house people and provide them with education yes. and enough money to eat yes. and opportunities to engage in meaningful work that mm. enabled them to pay for their, yeah. the rent yeah. and feed their kids, then fewer people would turn to a life of crime. Do you have to have an element of anonymity in terms of some of the, the, the people that you're dealing with? Who's to say that they um, wouldn't reoffend, or people might get a, a quite judgy or quite aggressive with you for actually rehabilitating someone that's done a, a really heinous crime. Do you understand what I'm trying to say in terms of is, you're, you're putting yourself on the line quite a lot for, for someone who, you know, might have done something to somebody that was, you know, almost unforgivable? Um, I don't I don't see my role or the impact of the work that I do in the same way that you, you, you do. So I'm not entirely sure I agree with that. But um, I think... The, the right to work and, and be a member of a community and be valued mm-hmm. and contribute, these things are things that we take for granted but actually should be inalienable by virtue of us all being humans. What I mean is I think surely that you know, there's a lot of people, I'm not saying that's my opinion, but I think generally people might judge you for, for doing that in the wrong way or, or the right way, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think people will judge me no matter what mm. uh, for what I wear, the colour of my hair, yeah. the language I use. I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, I think they're the significant. They're a, a, a really small minority of people who don't get it, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone's radical enough. And yeah. I think, in terms of the work that we do and our approach, we we are perhaps a little bit before our time, mm. and we do insist that organisations lean into discomfort, yeah, and and we are really focused on like reframing the narrative because what you see in the public, you know, in, 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 um, you know, the press, for example, and, and the images say in this example, ex offenders in, in film and TV and things like this, they're all the same, Mm. you know, Mm. they're all black men, stereotypical, they're all violent. Mm. They're all exactly in the same way that, you know, homeless people are alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah. It's simply not the case. You've got, you know, if you take the example of homeless people, mm-hmm. most people don't realise that homelessness com- encompasses um, more than just people who are sleeping rough on the street. Yeah, of course. You've got over 320,000 people who are homeless in the UK. 120,000 of them are young people mm-hmm. aged 18 to 25. 120,000. Mm-hmm. But no one thinks about it like that. Mm-hmm. Or not, not enough people do. So we sort of really focus on reframing the narrative and educating yeah. people. I think what you're doing is it's it's amazing, it's unique, and you know, bravo to you in terms of the impact you're making. And I think um, there was an example that um, on LinkedIn wasn't there that guy, and you I think you raised three grand in the space of a couple of days because of LinkedIn. Do you want to talk about that one? LinkedIn is like full of angels. Have you seen? Yes. We've oh, we've talked about this the Ricky Gervais afterlife. Yeah. You know yeah. that scene at the end, and I had never thought of it like that until until I watched it. I won't wreck it for anyone who's listening, but basically. When I started Radical, no one knew me. I didn't have a personal brand to speak of. I didn't have any money. 
I had mm. this ridiculous idea um, and I, to market the service for the first year, I told stories, success mm. stories. Mm. And I did that on LinkedIn um, and that's sort of how how the radical brand started and where we built from. Yeah. Um, and as a result, we have this amazing community of people, hundreds of them, who either cheer us on from the sidelines, physically mm. get involved in our work, talk about us, all sorts of things. But often, you know, we're, we're not a grant maker. We've got no money in the bank at all. Yeah. Um, and what we do have, we make stretch really far. But we don't provide support with accommodation and things like this because there are other services that should. Yes. And I was contacted by um, a chap from a business, uh, one of the businesses. I'm not sure whether he's the owner or not. It was a very quick call um, who had previously employed a young care leaver who on on the Kickstart scheme. Do you know what yeah, the Kickstart scheme of course. is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he did his six months, he did a really good job and then the contract ended and he hadn't moved into other work um, and he had just become homeless again. Mm. So he called me and said, can you help? And I said, well, we can try. And so I wrote, I had a quick chat with the young person, the young radical, and he explained his story and I believed him, felt compelled by it and I thought others would too. So yeah. I wrote his story mm. in, a, in a post on, <laughs> on Friday last week. Yeah. And I just said, you know, can anyone put Fiverr in the in the bucket? We want to get this kid off the street. Yeah, yeah. And um, within a matter of about twelve hours, we'd raised over three grand. Mm. So we've just now um, secured a job offer for him. Brilliant. And he's in an Airbnb for the next three weeks, which we've paid for, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we'll support him to find some sort of stable accommodation that he can turn into a, into a home, basically, because he mm. needs he needs somewhere to settle and nest. Don't we all? I think, I mean, you and you raised something like three grand, didn't you? Something like that. Yeah. So um, with the, a gentleman by the name of Alan Stewart who runs a recruitment consultancy, he put a grand in the bucket. Wow. So big Amazing. shout out. I can't think what his business name is. I'd love to be able to tell you. Um, Aria Grace Law, the founder of Aria Grace Law, yeah. matched um, matched up to a thousand, and then the good people of LinkedIn. Um, mm. Did the rest. So that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. I just it's amazing. It's. Um, Remarkable. That's the best part of humanity. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And I you, think I if see it a brought, lot of actually brought a, a, a tear to my eye. It's quite emotional because I, I, you know, I, I donated and you, did. Um, you, you put me in touch with that scene from Ricky Gervais and it kind of like, it kind of like just puts everything into perspective around, you know, we can all chase the money. And all, I mean, I think what you're doing is so unique in the, in the marketplace and it's, it's certainly not about the money f for you, is it? But what, what is the overall kind of purpose of what you know is there, is there a destination or something you want to achieve with what you're doing or, or, or you've already done loads of great stuff but what, what do you want your legacy to be I guess oh I'm not really worried about how people think about me when I'm dead when I'm dead I'm dead so mm -hmm. that's not a consideration I think um, I'm one of these really lucky people that really enjoy their work so yeah. more more of this I've got an exit plan I think founders shouldn't stay yeah um, in businesses certainly not in the and this is such a wanky term CEO roles chief, <laughs> I call myself a chief radical yeah yeah um, like that. but yeah so I've got an exit plan and we'll because yeah. you can't keep innovating if no you, do you know what I mean yeah so of course. There's a, there's that, that I won't be around forever I'll start something new but yeah I mean ultimately what I want to be able to do is have um, the charity um, self-sustaining financially, okay. so earning enough income to remain completely independent from funders. Mm -hmm. 
I want it to um, continue to be a, a critical friend, co-pilot and ally in all things diversity to mm. corporate partners mm. who desperately need our help. Yes. Um, and I would like for the charity to to grow and and be staffed by more radical people mm-hmm. whose experience is just invaluable. I mean, you, you, that's what makes, that's the secret yeah. source of radical. We've got people who have been on the other side of, you know, discrimination, who understand what it feels like not to belong, who have felt the pain of not being included, who yeah. didn't get a chance in the first instance. They're the ones who inform everything we do at Radical and that's why our service is so relevant to the, to the yeah. candidates but also why we can speak with such authority with corporates. Mm-hmm. So I have a big team of Radicals yes. that are doing really fucking good quality work because there's so many organisations who say they do what we do yes. in the third sector yes. who, to be honest, uh, and I've, I've managed these services off yeah. a watered down sort of diluted crud Yes. Um, and don't encourage people to aspire and then you've got, what, 35,000 recruitment consultancies Mm-hmm. Who remain largely inaccessible to radical people? Yeah. So we want to be, we yeah. want we want to cement our place in the. I sector. think that's right. I think I think my observation is that you know diversity and inclusion it's 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 moving from just people talking about it to taking action. I, I think over the last eighteen months, two years, three years, there's been significant improvement. Obviously, there's an enormous um, way to go, isn't there? But in terms of mental health as well. Mm. Um, Talk to us about your own mental health journey and, and kind of your journey from kind of school to where you... Cause I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know more about you as a person. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very much about vulnerability and leadership and I've talked about my own mental health mm. issues in the mm. past. And I think it's really important to be open. But I think with yourself as well, I think you, you strike me as someone who, you know, you don't really give a fuck what people think, but, you know, you're a human being as well. You must have your own darkness and struggles and journeys and adversity. So talk about that. Oh, I don't think anyone anyone doesn't I think to compare mine to anyone else's would be completely pointless um it's funny you say this because I've been reflecting on it I was born into just to set the scene I had a really good home Mm. I had two parents who loved each other and me unconditionally Mm -hmm. um I had my home was always the safe place you know I, I I even if I made a big big error in judgment I completely fucked up. I knew I could come home and tell someone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I always had nourishing food on the table, like dry, clean clothes on my back that fit me. Mm. I had, I, I remember thinking, or feeling really pissed off with dad when he'd, ins- his dad's Swiss, so quite traditional European values. Okay. And he'd insist that we'd all share dinner together without the TV on and talk and right. that I wouldn't cross my legs and have my feet on the chair while we had dinner and, and that you know, these types of things. And, mm. and, you know, my only priority as a kid growing up was to get an education. Mm. And I don't recall ever being told this directly, but I've always known that I belong. I've always known that I am valued and loved. Always. Yeah. Always, always, always. Okay. So in terms of my mental health, um, I mean, everyone has the odd wobble. Yeah. Have I ever been in a really dark place once? Mm-hmm. But that was what propelled me into action mm. and the often, reason why I started does, doesn't it? Radical. But in, in all other respects, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky mm. um, to have not sort of suffered in that way. 
that said, like mental health in my family, mm. on my mum's side, like my mum's, my grandmother killed herself in her backyard. Wow. Um, mum found her. So she had PTSD for 10 years and still suffers, you know. Yeah. Um, our, my uncle was homeless and died on the streets. He had schizophrenia, you okay. know, loads of under. So I, I'm incredibly aware of the vulnerability of humans generally. Yeah. And, um, and do my best most of the time to, to look after myself in that respect. But I've got this, yeah. I've got a mum, I like, I'll have a breakdown, a wobble, <laughs> and I'll be on the phone yeah. to mum and I'll be crying and yeah. it's awful and blah, blah, blah. And then she'll say something silly or we'll have a good chat. And yeah. and that, it's like, it's all, all sort of fades away. So I'm really lucky to have good people around me who pick me up. What about adversity then because it doesn't strike, strike me that you've had much adversity but I think I haven't okay I haven't so how I'm, I'm curious to know how you know from a, a, a veritable kind of um, calm relaxed uh, home environment your parents looked after you everything was quite stable mm. how did you sort of transfer into the into the into the realm that you're in where it's kind of like you, you, you're walking into something that's completely the opposite of that aren't you but what, what well, I mean, the, the, you, there are a couple of eureka moments, but the big one was I was working for an organisation called Working Chance um, and they support women coming out of the prison system mm. to find jobs. Okay. So that was, I mean, this idea of putting, you know, people who face disadvantage into jobs is not an original one. I can't take credit for no, that. No, no. But during my time there, I had supported, albeit in a very small way, um, over 400 women to come out of prison. Mm and become, you know, better citizens, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Reintegrate into the community, reestablish themselves as, as parents and carers, whatever they were prior to going to prison. And mm. then, um, uh, you know, find jobs and in theory, walk with purpose into their futures. Yeah, yeah. And I was speaking at a conference, Reward Gateway NX Summit. If you can go, I mean, it's the best conference ever okay. it was it was seemed hr rebels yeah how perfect yeah yeah and i was sitting on a panel um that was discussing the thing was what what's possible in the third sector and the business community unite in purpose mm. and on the panel um was the head of people at from honest burgers yes. and um chanel who is one of the most remarkable women I've ever, 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 ever met. And we were telling our Chanel's story from our respective viewpoints. And mm. essentially, Chanel was born into really tumultuous circumstances. Mm. So she was one of 13 or 16 siblings, I can't think now, <laughs> lots of siblings, um, black, gay, Birmingham, generational poverty. Yeah. Her father was a um, prolific criminal. Her mother was a, um, a drug and alcohol addict. Mm. She was severely abused and neglected mm -hmm. um, until the point where she, she and her siblings were taken into care. I don't know whether you know about the care system, but it's... I used yeah. to do some recruitment in that sector, so I've got some understanding, yeah. It's broken. Mm. It doesn't work. Mm. It's awful. It's like the, the better option of two, two really yeah. bad ones. Yeah, yeah. And um, from care, she sort of had periods of homelessness and, and then prison and homelessness and mm. prison. And she'd just done like a stint, her last stint for arson, six years. Mm. And she's telling this her story from, and she's saying things like, prison was the only place I ever felt safe. Wow. 
And that was the moment where I was like, I need to be doing more yes. than what I'm doing. Got you. This is not, you mm. know, 200 women to work every year into jobs that, are, mm. you know, and, and they're at the, these are good jobs for some people, but not all people, you know, yeah. stacking shelves and cleaning and just mm. lacking aspiration, lacking career progression opportunities, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, bugger this, like I need to do this for more people, you know. Yeah. And if it works for someone like Chanel, who was literally the most complex person mm. coming from the most awful circumstances. I mean, her story is harrowing. Yeah. And if for someone like her to say, you know, I feel like I belong, I've got a team around me. She was, she had been in work for... Mm. Um, I think it was about 18 months at the time. She hadn't reoffended for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, this is transformational. So that's that's why I do sure. what we do. So from a very young age, it's clear that you've had that gratitude, that self-awareness around how privileged a lot of, a lot of us are. And I think to, to, to turn that into what you've done, I think is nothing short of. It's, it's very commendable, very remarkable. Um, <laughs> Um, what's, what's that's all right. People what's, say that I cringe. I'm yeah. like, oh, it's, it's really not. It's really not. <laughs> well, I think it is. What, what, what's been your proudest moment so far? Proudest moment? Oh, gosh. We did a project. Um, I got a call from St. Mungo's on a Friday night in the first lockdown. You know how it's a beautiful summer? Yeah. I was a bit pissed because I've been drinking <laughs> cider and writing funding applications in my garden. And um, the guy at the end, uh, on the other end of the phone was sort of in a flat because what had happened is the government had tasked local authorities and organisations like St Mungo's and Crisis and Shelter and these mm-hmm. homeless organisations mm-hmm. to do what they called a, a street sweep um, over a 72-period hour in the name of public safety. Yes. And over that 72 hours, about 90% of the rough sleeping community were taken off the streets and put into safe accommodation. Mm -hmm. And this guy had been tasked with finding partners who could support those who were capable of working Mm -hmm. to find jobs because the accommodation had an expiry date and it was very expensive exercise for the government. And you heard about Radical. And at this point, I'm still a one-woman show with the support of hundreds of volunteers. But literally, I had no infrastructure. I didn't have a client list. I didn't have – I barely had a social media presence, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And he called me and said, you know, I've heard about you. Can can you help? And I said, what the fuck am I going to (laughs) do? No, I can't. Sat on that for a weekend. I was talking to my friend Glenn Martin who does the um, never, buy, never Mind the Job spec. He's in the sort oh, of okay. TA space right. as well. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd spoken on one of his um, podcasts when Radical sort of launched. Yeah. He and I would stayed in touch. I said, what do you think about this? And he said, oh, fuck it. Just put in a proposal. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if they give you the money, what, there's nothing to lose, right? Mm. And so I put in this proposal with all the caveats. We're about to go into a worldwide recession. Yeah. These people that were non-English speaking, EU nationals with no recourse to public funds, whose only solution to homelessness was was to get work. Mm-hmm. Didn't have formal paid um, um, paid work experience or anything anything to speak of really on a CV, no yeah. CV, nothing. And so I did that and I made Glenn promise me that if we got the funds, he'd come on board and we mm. got the money. Wow. So we had 65 people referred and we placed 45 into work. 
um, That's amazing. in the space of about six months in the height of the pandemic. Phenomenal. So that is my proudest moment. Congratulations. That's one of many, I'm sure. On the flip side, tell me or us about a time where you've made some a bad call or a poor decision. So what's your biggest mistake? And mm. how, did, how did you learn from it as well? To be honest, I'm surprised that I haven't made more. <laughs> um, and often I like stop and take stock of what we've achieved because I think it's really important to celebrate success. Yeah. Um, I am a heart-shaped leader mm-hmm. and I have the habit of perhaps not weighing the commercial risk with what is comes naturally to me is that, that human sort of yeah. drive and, and the things that motivate me. And so I have made a couple of hiring decisions that probably – actually, the hiring decisions weren't bad. It mm. was the um, – how do you, I don't know how to say this diplomatically. You might have to edit this out That's later. That's all right. No <laughs> but, problem. Say, but, say what you feel. Um, I think I probably came to the real, realisation that actually this person wasn't right for the business. Mm-hmm. But due to the fact that they were radical, yes, um, I made exceptions for them. And mo- I mean, I moved mountains for Defi- them. Define that. I know you, you have touched on it. What What is radical to you? So radical is if you've got a protected characteristic under the law. So if you're disabled, if you um, come from the BAME community, if right. you identify as LGBTQ yeah. plus, um, those sorts of characteristics that are protected by law, that makes yeah. you radical. Mm-hmm. But also if you're someone who's been socially, um, not socially, economically inactive, mm. so not employable for years and years and years because you've got... yeah. You've been in a domestic violence situation because you've been homeless, because you've got a gap on your CV, because you've been to prison. That's what radical means. Mm -hmm. So you could be like a returning veteran. Yeah. You could be um, like a victim of modern day slavery. You could be a a refugee who's got um, right to work. So so any of those types of barriers to work. What pisses you off most about the recruitment sector? Um, It's lack of humanity. Yeah. And it's short-sightedness. Mm-hmm. I think we're all, every business we talk to and so many of the recruiters I hear from and, and read about, you know, on LinkedIn, mm. they're all saying the same things. There are skill shortages yeah. on the macro and the micro level across all sectors. Yeah. Um, and they're all vying for the same pots of talent. Mm-hmm. And they're wondering why, number one, they're not getting diversity. Number two, they can't fill their vacancies Absolutely. and bill. Mm-hmm. Um, but if both of those communities, and let's face it, they're collectively such a powerful mm. entity to elicit real social change. Yes. If 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 those two groups yes. really turn their rhetoric into action and planned long term to to implement some of the, the, the diversity stuff that they're talking about and, mm. and look beyond the obvious in terms of what diversity means and looks like. Mm. Their, their talent pools would broaden so significantly, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if business is led with empathy. Yes, absolutely. The world would be a much better place. And I think that's what pisses me off so much about most organisations is their lack of mm. humanity. I love that. What do you think men could do more of to help women in the workplace? Um, so it's a big question. As in to be better allies. Mm-hmm. Listen to women. Mm-hmm. Just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. That would be a really good starting so not, point. Um, 
not all men kind of thing. Kind of that's annoying, isn't it? It's not even not all men. Mm. It's um, if I'm talking about a women's issue, it's a women's issue. It's not a mm. man's issue. Therefore, your voice, yeah, is not important to the the dialogue, the conversation. Mm. So by being quiet, you enable women to have the conversation, mm. and by listening, you might learn something. You at least show allyship. Mm-hmm. You at least show respect. Listening to hear as well, isn't it? Not listening to yes, res- react or respond, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. And mm. I would question any man who says, oh, well, I don't do that mm. in response to a woman talking about the behaviour of some men. Mm. If you don't do it, why are you defending yourself? Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> it seems a bit, yeah. to me, it, it doesn't make any logical sense. Mm-hmm. Um I think stop relying on women to be experts in all things women. And that's that's the same, um, I think the same applies to any minority group. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, men and, and any majority group could read more and and educate themselves. I yes. mean, there's yes. so much literature out there. That's there the key, are so many it? podcasts mm-hmm. you could listen to. Mm-hmm. There are some great texts and literature and films that explore you know, themes that are relevant and, co- and common and really important to women. Mm. Um, and you don't have to be an academic to to understand them. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to, to have walked in her shoes. You just need to be quiet and listen. <laughs> and in the spirit of kind of equity, on the flip side, what do you think women could do more of to improve the life of a man Improve the life of a man. Well, not necessarily the life of a man, but, you know, there are certain circumstances where men feel they're mistreated in certain aspects of life. There are are circumstances where men are mistreated Mm -hmm. or treated differently in aspects of of life. I think, um, I don't think this is a matter of sex or gender. I think this is, if you strip it back... um, it's about respecting one another and and mm. acting with integrity. Mm-hmm. And then if you do that, all of the things that other us or other other people or make us different from others yeah. disappear. Mm. They don't matter anymore. Sure. So I think um, you know, getting single minded about equality. Yeah. Getting single minded about equity, getting single minded about belonging and inclusion. Yeah. Um, it's much wider than that, isn't it? But I think sometimes you've got to start somewhere. Almost, but you've got to you? know where you yeah. start yeah, in yeah. order to move to where you want to go. Exactly. Like, yeah. where are you on the map? Yeah. You know, it's such a wide, complex thing, isn't it? The whole th- the whole sphere of it. And I think... Absolutely. And that's why I think it's the more conversations like this, the better, I think. Yeah. I think I think it takes a certain amount of um, self-awareness, mm. you know. And, mm. I mean, I check my privilege daily. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? I'm conscious now. I'll give you an example. Mm. This kid that we, we've raised some money for. Yeah. We put him off in a travel lodge, which cost a bomb, mm. but I didn't have any other sort of suitable short-term options. So he had a week in travel lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just secured this, this job and that will start in a week's time. And we've said we'll pay for an Airbnb for the next three weeks. He yeah. checks out at 12 o'clock today. In my stupidity, I thought it would just be really easy to find a um, to sort of uh, extend his current hotel booking. Not possible. 
Right. I mean, costs stupid amounts of money to ex- extend his existing yeah. booking. So we went down the Airbnb track. It's more affordable and gives him more money for rent at the end of the day. Anyway, so I'm doing a million things because I'm busy at work. I'm trying to brush my hair and get dressed because I've got to come see you, <laughs> these sorts of things. Yeah. I've got the phone ringing. I've got, you know, 30-odd people on a Zoom call. Internet's not working. All this sort of stuff is happening. And this kid is messaging me saying, I've got two hours until I have to check out. I've got nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. I know that I am going to look after him. I know he's safe with me. Mm-hmm. But it's really easy for me to not worry about him. Yes. Because yes. I am, have the power and I sit with the privilege. Mm. I wrote him a message and it was a bit short, if I'm honest. I said, you need to stop bugging me because I'm trying to book this this. Airbnb and I've got other people that I'm I'm trying to help at the moment. So just wait and be patient. That's what I said to him. I said that because I'm coming from a place of privilege. That is is totally my privilege speaking because I'm not the the poor bastard who's got nowhere to go in two hours' time. It's so difficult though. It must be difficult for you in terms of you've got to have that empathy. You've got to have that compassion. But sometimes do you not have to apply that kind of real tough love stance and actually tell people you know, how how to be, how to live? Mm, I try not to tell people. I try not to make decisions for people. I mean, again, mm. that's when you do that, you do that because you're privileged enough to do that. Mm. I think we're all about empowering people and enabling, enabling people, whether that's a candidate that we're supporting, a hiring manager, yeah. you know, a HRD, a, a, a board, you but know, if a someone's, trustee. But if someone's not listening to you or they're kind of that's like... That's their right. So you'd be that you'd be that kind of uh, flexible about that. You wouldn't kind of say, actually, if you do that again, you are going to lose this fucking job or whatever. You know, it's no, we do say that absolutely, right. okay. but it's their right to. So we will. We do have that conversation. It's like pull your head out. You need to yeah. rock up to work on time. Yeah. Or you, they will go through a performance management process. But mm. that's not me being tough. That's me relaying the facts. Mm-hmm in a language that makes sense to that person. And just to just to qu- sort of qualify, we've got people who are furthest from the labour market like this kid that we've been talking about. Yeah. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got radicals who, you know, we've got one guy who took a, about a year and a bit to place who came out of prison 28 years prior. Mm-hmm. He's 56 now. Mm-hmm. He'd done 25 years at a Golden Circle law firm. He started as the team maker since I don't know what his first role was and he worked his way up to senior finance and billing manager. He Mm -hmm. was responsible for 25 European partners, very special people lawyers, as Mm. I'm sure you can appreciate. Yeah. And 190 million, billion, sorry, not million, worth of revenue. That was his job. Wow. And HR in all their wisdom brought in a retrospective DBS policy which meant that he for the first time in 25 years of tenure with this one company Mm -hmm. was asked, do you have an unspent conviction? To which he answered yes. Really? That information went all the way to America. The partners in America terminated his contract. No way. So you've got like, you've got, what we do is so different for everyone. Sure. So I might say to the kid who's making the silly decision who's going to end up, you know, getting recalled to prison because he can't be asked going to his probation meeting. Mm. Pull your head in. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got you're about to waste these really great opportunities. Mm. Would I have the same conversation with no, the other guy? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Everyone needs something different. We yeah. do not make choices. We just try and help people. We empower people to do mm. what's best for them. Build lives that they love. 
So we're sort of coming towards the last quarter of the podcast. Um, it's been fascinating so far. I've, I've talked a lot. No, well, that's, that's the idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I ask the questions and shut up, hopefully. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And conversely, what keeps you up at night? Ooh, do you know what? Before I had... So I don't ever want kids. Okay. I've never wanted kids. I've no desire to spread my seed. <laughs> But what keeps me up at night and what gets me out of bed is the fact that I have inherited hundreds of other people's kids. They're kids that I didn't have the pleasure of making, mm. but who don't have any, who don't have parents that can be good parents and yeah. and who need support. So they're right. They're the, our most vulnerable radicals. Mm. When you say kids, what sort of age? Well, eighteen to right. to thirty. Yeah. Young people. Young adults. Yeah. Young people. I mm. call them. Okay. So they're the ones that that keep me up at night because they're painful buddy buggers and they just <laughs> they need support right and you're always on the end of the phone yeah um and i guess since i've employed people and grown the team it's paying people at the end of the month you know people have got families that is a huge pre- yeah. pressure for any business owner yeah. especially if you like the people you work with and i adore the people i work with yeah no that's that's amazing um tell us one thing interesting about yourself that most people wouldn't know so I was at a, this is ridiculous, I was at a, a birthday party, it must have been five or six, I remember this explicitly, and I was sitting on the toilet, <laughs> <laughs> and I was eating fairy bread, do you know what fairy bread is? No, what's fairy bread? It's awful. So fairy bread is what's, what's served at Australian children's parties, and basically oh, okay. it's that hideous white bread that I love, and you smother it in margarine, yeah. and you cover it in um, sprinkles. And okay. then you cut it in ah, triangles right, okay. with the cross off. Sounds delicious. So I'm sitting on the toilet, got a piece of fairy bread in my hand, and I'm eating this fairy bread, and I accidentally swallow one of my baby teeth. No. Yeah. True wow. story. That's uh, that's one of many um, stories. I'm sure you you can you can tell. Yeah, it wasn't a very interesting one. <laughs> I've driven up the centre, the guts of Australia, from Melbourne to Perth. I was going to talk to you about that. So wh- when did you come over here and was there a reason why you come over here? Yeah, I was in a relationship, a really bad relationship with a nice guy who was a stoner. Right, right. don't know whether you've ever been in a relationship with a stoner, but you don't do a great deal together. <laughs> Apart from watch TV or whatever, yeah. Well, yeah, Xbox it was. <laughs> and we'd bought a house together and I loved him, yeah. but it was not healthy, so I left. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, I need a sea change. Mm-hmm. So I convinced, I quit my cushy job. And it was a job I actually really liked. And I, I gave away all my earthly possessions. And I convinced my best friend Bianca to do the same. And we drove up in her, because I had a company car at the time, so no car. Mm. So I needed her. She didn't really have a choice. We drove up in a little um, Toyota, what are they called? A little mini, tiny little car. Right. It was old as the hills. Yeah, yeah. Up the, the Nullarbor to Perth for, for this sea change. I don't know whether you've ever been to Perth, but it's the sleepiest. It's beautiful, but yeah, it's yeah. sleepy. <laughs> and it was not the sea change I wanted. So no. then we decided. I did. I went and had a, like a um, an interview for a support worker role just while I, I worked out what I was going to do career-wise yeah. for an organisation called Drake International. They're a recruitment company. Mm-hmm. And somehow I was offered their the the branch man- manager for their Medox division, they did like mm. healthcare 
um, GPs, nurses, dental assistants, things like that. So I did yeah. recruitment for the first time in my life for 10 months. I hated every second of really? it. And I vowed I would never do it again. Well, I, I mean, I don't know why I even got the job. She never <laughs> got the job, but that okay. happened. Gift yeah. of the gab. And then I was like, well, I've always wanted to go to London. I sold my part of the house to the Stoner X. Yeah, so I had yeah. money in the bank. I thought, I'm going. Mm -hmm. And I haven't looked back. Nine years on. Love it. What about family then? Talk to us about, you mentioned you had some difficulties. I mean, your, your grandparents committed to it. What? My my nan killed herself in her backyard. Wow. Yeah, shit, isn't it? That is really shit. Yeah. Do yeah. you want to talk about how that affected you and also maybe more? I was too young to know. Right. I was too young to know. I know it has affected me because mm. I know it affects my mum. Of course. But um, not in the same way as as it as no. she would describe it. So um, I just think humans are so delicate. <laughs> yeah. They can be, and, and by the same token, so incredibly resilient, you know. Yeah, of course. The things that we bounce back from and recover from is just, it's, it, we're remarkable as well. Mm. I think the thing that, that really, her death, whenever, whenever you know, when, when you know, you've got, you're on a girl's night out or a boy's night out for you <laughs> and a human night out and, um, you know, you all agree, message when you get home. Yes. And then someone doesn't message when when they get home. I always think the worst. The worst. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it comes from that. Probably. And in the same yeah. way as you know, if someone's, you know, f feeling f flat or or they're depressed or they're having a bad time mm. or something sort of traumatic has happened, my brain always goes to that's that's yeah, in the back yeah. of my head. I'm of thinking yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm. In fact, that's probably what I, I should go get some therapy or something. I talk about therapy a lot. <laughs> I was going to say on, on that point, I'm, I'm, I've talked about my own kind of issues on LinkedIn and various platforms. And yeah. I've, I've always advocated that, you know, it's really important to go back and understand your trauma. Uh, yeah. And so you can go forward. But I kind of reached a point or you, I think you can reach a point sometimes where you can become your story so much. You talk about it so much. and You don't look forward. What's your view on kind of like therapy, counseling in, in general and kind of people talking and being open and. You know, I think, it, uh, isn't there a fine line between, you know, holding on to your past so much you can't actually build a future? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, my past doesn't define me, but I think a lot of that is because I haven't had a traumatic past. I mm. haven't, like you say, sort of had to overcome great adversity. You know, the things that shape the people that we support at Radical don't shape me. They're not a part no. of my identity. And I think also, you know, from a counselling perspective, we all have our our narratives yes, and we frame our lives in stories and I, I completely appreciate that. I'm a huge advocate of counselling. Ironically, I've never had counselling. We provide mm. pro bono counselling. We've got a, um, a, a partner that yeah, yeah. offers that services to some of our radicals. Um, I find it but I sh maybe I've just had a little eureka moment. Maybe that's what I need to be talking about. My, wow. my grandmother's suicide because it does actually enter into my life all the time. Mm. And I didn't now, realize now, until now, now I heard this conversation. Well, yeah, okay. absolutely. I think about it all the time, but I've never been asked that question mm. that you've just asked me. So in terms of counseling, absolutely. I think um, it's, it's a really great tool for some people. Yeah. I don't think the NHS is set up to offer what yeah. individuals need. I think it's an incredibly intimate um, relationship that you have with a counselor. Yeah. I think there's lots of different types of therapy. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, I don't think that what's offered is necessarily culturally sensitive yes. or and all of these other sort of factors that make 
therapy and, and any sort of clinical intervention mm. useful mm. or relevant or feel safe. So I'm a big fan. I don't do it. I Maybe I will. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. No problem. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm here for, to ask questions. On that, on, on that kind of tip then, so what, what do you do to kind of look after yourself? Because I'm, I'm all about personal development, growth, and kind of doing the work. I mean, you, you've got to be of a certain mind to be able to do what you do right. So how do you, how do you look after you personally? It's funny. You had a, um, a post on your Instagram recently which had me absolutely creasing. I don't know why, <laughs> but it was... Something along the lines of fuck motivation, discipline's everything. Yeah, pretty much. Um, was um, discipline fucks motivation. Motivation for, for, for breakfast. breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was brilliant. <laughs> it was really, really good. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure it is. I think um, for me anyway. Yeah. So what do I do to look after myself? Not enough, but I'm getting better at it. So I'm one of these people who is – incredibly empathetic and I, I feel other people's everything. Yes, I can sense that definitely. Um, but when it comes to me, I know I, I need to look after myself when I have a wobble and a meltdown. I'm on the phone to mum saying, yeah. it's all this, it's <laughs> happening, this is happening. Or she asked me how I am and I burst into tears. Yeah, yeah. Um, recently, I have been, I, I have, so I've got, I've got my sort of team uh, sort of my critical friends and co-pilots and allies, and they mm. care deeply about me it's and so the mission. It's so important who you have around you, isn't it? Absolutely, and mm. I care deeply about them. And one of the things that they do regularly now is tell me to stop meddling, mm. in other words, often, and delegate. And that's been one thing that's been really something that I'm really aware of. Yeah from a self-care perspective, but also a not driving the mad perspective. Yes. And that I'm doing more of to look after myself. Yes. I mean, this is the thing, right? Your life's so fucking busy. Yeah. And when you're in, when you're working in your own businesses, especially for like, you know, when you're on a mission to help other people help yeah, themselves. absolutely. Your list of things to do is just like, it's never ending. And you're number 89th on the list somewhere down there or whatever, or even not even on the list. Yeah, I don't, yeah. So I think, like, from a long-term health perspective, that approach is not sustainable. Yeah. Which is where the discipline comes in. Yes. So I, I'm motivated and I don't stop yeah. because I care about what I'm doing yeah. and the people I do. But to be disciplined would mean that I could probably do what I do for longer and, and do it better. So mm. I'm working on that. I don't do enough. Is mm. the short answer. I'm waffling, aren't I? No, you're not. You're not waffling at all. I think it's. I think it's really interesting. I think you know people in your position, and even to me in a certain extent, where I'm giving out lots of advice and I'm a coach and that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, if I if I yielded or listened to myself and implemented half the advice I gave out, I'd probably be an even better person. I think. Why do then... we do that though? Why don't we do that? Mm. Like, if you were, I can tell a friend what they need to do. <laughs> Absolutely everything they need to do yeah. to feel better about themselves yeah. in any situation, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But if you're, if I find myself in the same situation, I know what I need to do. Mm. I choose not to do it. What's about? What's that about? That's a question you've asked yourself, and that's a, you, only you know that. And I think that's a journey we, we go on. And I think you becoming we become aware of it as we go along. It's not a quick fix. I think it's a journey. It's kind of like, oh right, actually, and it's taking that time. I think it's taking mm. that time to have, you know, that self that self care is so important, right? It is compassion, I think, is another mm, thing. Self-compassion. Yes, with yourself, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, certainly. So 
two two more questions, I think. I might think of another one just to put you on the spot. Go I'm ahead. only joking. Um, so if you could go back to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him or her um, to... <laughs> I'm a her. <laughs> yeah, I've got to go kind of, kind of like... You know, yeah, yeah. What would you, what would you tell yourself um, what to prepare would yourself for your future myself? life? Good question. I would tell myself that it's totally okay not to have a plan got you not to know what you're good at not to know what your interests are not to know like what you what you want to do because Mm. over the course of my life those things and many many more have changed yeah yeah and actually having that pressure as a young person yes is incredibly unhealthy and and actually not very useful at all I, I love that the whole kind of educational society thing around you know you need to go and get a good job you need to have a good house you need yeah, to do nine good? to five it's very conformative isn't it but also it doesn't like what is good yeah my what idea is success? of good what is, what is success? success yeah it's just there uh, i I've, if we could do less labeling as a as, totally. as a group of humans mm. um imagine how how liberating that would be <laughs> I just think there's so much rewiring society has to do, you know, with with men, women, whoever, whatever it is, in terms of like, you know, I think you can only get to kind of my our age and start to realize actually what I was taught, educated, managed by my how I was parented is 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 probably not how I would have done it at all. And it's kind of, kind of like we're not starting from naught; we're starting from minus fucking thirty, aren't we? Yeah, to. I think we've got a lot of unlearning to do mm. as a society. Totally. I love the concept of unlearning. Mm. Um, yeah, we're we're kind of I don't know set up to fail yeah. in that respect aren't we yeah um and I think it's you know the system is is rigged for a lot of us as well which makes it even harder to survive exist whatever you want to call it this conversation has been extremely insightful I could speak to you for the rest of the the day oh, I um, won't talk to you mate <laughs> <laughs> you had enough already um so if, there, if there's one thing that you could take, uh, that the audience could take from this podcast, you'd like to leave leave the audience with, what would it be? Um, well, let's let's talk about leadership in the context of diversity because that's what you're interested in and what mm. I'm interested in. I think um, we can all be leaders of change. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about diversity, um, my call to action to everyone would, would be to, to become single-minded about it and not wait until tomorrow. Do something today. Yes. Uh, it's a little things. If we all did something tiny today, all of us, that There's would that saying, isn't there? If everyone change. swept their doorstep, the whole world would be clean. Yes. And I love that. Yes, it's a beautiful saying, analogy. What's a, what is it? It's a good way to end the podcast. <laughs> it's a bloody good way to end the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.